Hello, uh, welcome to the Finance School podcast of Professional Finance Studies. The Finance School podcast deals with educating on finance, investment, economics, risk management, personal finance, and many other related topics. The objective is to discuss and spread and learning, spread the learning and increase the knowledge base of the broader society. The Finance School podcast is available at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and The Breaker. For more learning on finance, uh, you may join any of the courses offered by PFS, both online and offline. Classes are running online due to the COVID-19. The host and guest of the podcast episode may have positions on different companies and securities discussed. The thoughts and excerpts shared here for informational and educational purposes only. This is not an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any securities or other instrument mentioned here. This discussion does not constitute a personal recommendation. So investors should take into account any particular investment objectives, financial situations or needs which are necessary considerations before making any investment decision. Investors should consider whether any advice or recommendation in this discussion is suitable for their particular circumstances and where appropriate seek professional advice and guidance, including legal, tax, accounting, investment, and other advice. I'm delighted to get my guest today, Mr. Sadiqur Rahman. He has over 10 years of experience in banking. His area of specialty includes relationship management of large corporate clients, credit analysis, financial analysis, credit monitoring, etc. I and Sadiq Bhai are actually related to each other for more than 15 years. Uh, we were colleagues in a couple of times. Uh, the first time back in 15 years ago, we, when we used to teach for a coaching institute and uh, later on in 2014 for a brief period of time when we both were at Eastern Bank Limited. Today, we'll discuss on the current financial landscape of Bangladesh with special attention to the banking sector. We'll also discuss on post-COVID challenges for the economy in general and banking sector in particular. I and Sadiq Bhai are designing a course on credit risk management. So I think it will be very helpful for the young bankers. It will be a small group of people and interested participants can pre-book their participation by contacting us. Without any further ado, let's start the discussion with Mr. Sadiq Rahman. So Sadiq Bhai, uh, welcome to the uh, Professional Finance Studies. So the COVID-19 came as a perfect storm for the economy and the banking sector. So what are the main challenges uh, that the banking sector are facing today? Can you share your thoughts on this? Hello, Nafiz. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I did go through a couple of your podcasts. Uh, I must say it's an excellent initiative, particularly helpful for the finance enthusiast. Uh, well, uh, with respect to your question regarding banking sector, let me start with an admission. Uh, even before the world was taken by surprise with this COVID storm, uh, which you have rightly pointed out to be a perfect storm, uh, our uh, banking sector was under enormous stress. There is no denying that. Uh, even World Bank in its economic review identified the health of the banking sector to be a major challenge uh, for overall economic stability of the country. Now, with this unprecedented COVID-19 crisis, the situation only deteriorated from back to worse. In terms of uh, identifying the challenges, the number one challenge uh, is undoubtedly the asset quality of banking sector. Uh, 
uh, reported NPL of over 10% is, is scary enough. Uh, however, doubt hangs about the quality of reporting as well. So actual number could be way worse. There have been efforts to keep the number at certain level through allowing long-term rescheduling of large loan with only 2% moratorium. Stay orders on disputed cases take longer in our judicial system to settle. They are not reported in the official NPL numbers. However, qualitative standard of these assets remain questionable. Post-COVID-19, the pressure on NPL uh, on banking uh, uh, sector certainly is going to increase manifold. Many business sectors will find it difficult to repay their loans on time. How long the economy takes to recover will also be an important factor. So overall, NPL is a huge challenge. Second challenge that I'd like to identify is the slowdown of real economy. Uh, we didn't experience that in the recent past. Uh, as per the growth estimate of multilateral agencies, the growth uh, in the coming year could be as low as 2%. This is kind of an uncharted territory for us as far as growth is concerned. Uh, how banking sector copes with this slow business environment remains to be seen. One sign of things uh, uh, to come might be the nosedive of uh, private sector credit that we have seen recently. This is roughly around 8% as opposed to target of say 13, 14%. Hard challenge uh, that I would like to point out is declining export and remittance. Export and remittance, so to speak, are the twin pillars of the economy. Growth of these two, uh, I mean, uh, helped us tremendously, uh, gave us a breathing space with our current account position and foreign exchange reserve. We have already seen how both these are affected under COVID-19 situation. Our export has unhealthy concentration on R&D export with roughly 84%. Majority of the export is done on open account with sales contract. It's almost disconcerting to see Western buyer unilaterally canceling export orders of over $3 billion. Many contracts have been deferred and payment terms extended. Buyers like Jesse Penny, Debenhams, and many others are filing for bankruptcy. On the other hand, if you compare our import, these are LC banks which is the unconditional liability on part of the bank. So there is a mismatch between export and import mechanism. And this has been exposed by the uncertainty of COVID-19 situation. On the remittance front, uh, our key market, uh, that is for the labor, uh, is Middle East, and it is uh, about to go to a prolonged economic crisis with the plummeting of oil prices. So mass deportation of migrant workers is expected from there. And it can really impact our remittance growth, uh, at least in the midterm. In that case, uh, this twin impact uh, could affect the capacity of the bank to manage the effects and also fee-based earning will surely decline. Fourth challenge that I would like to identify is the 9% interest rate capping. Uh, it will squeeze the margin of the bank in a big way. A portion of bank's deposit is taken for a year and beyond. Therefore, it will take further time for banks to be able to apply the revised deposit rate on its deposit. Moreover, 
capacity of many banks to mobilize deposit at 6% or lower would be an issue. Lending to SME sector in particular will be a challenge at 9%. The fifth challenge, I would say, relaxation of classification rules. First, it was announced that classification status as of uh, December uh, 31st, 2019 will be in effect until uh, June 2020, and there will be no degradation. Uh, and then it has been extended up to uh, September 22, uh, 2020. In addition to uh, the non-classification, Bangladesh Bank also announced tenure extension and moratorium. While this comes as a welcome move for the business hit hard by COVID-19, all borrowers uh, will likely to take advantage of this relaxation. Already many clients have stopped making their scheduled payment, even interest payment. So credit discipline is being hard. Say a client that has its sales level dropped to 50%, shouldn't it be adjusting at least 50% of its loan? This blanket waiver can create liquidity problems and willful default in future. Next challenge would be uh, the deposit growth. Uh, this is a major, major threat. We have already seen in the last three months, there has been degrowth. And if it continues like this, uh, it will be very difficult to manage uh, for some of the banks. Uh, another challenge would be profitability pressure. Uh, some regulations uh, give a sense that regulators want the banks to absorb some of the losses in the economy. Say it about 9% interest rate capping, long-term uh, uh, loan moratorium, tenure extension, interest realization over a longer period of time. So all of these uh, indicate that uh, they are expecting the banks to absorb some of the shocks in the economy. Whether banks have the capacity to do it is not being analyzed. Final major challenge, in my opinion, will be dealing with foreign banks. So all the challenges that I have mentioned previously will uh, make uh, the banking sector a lot weaker than it was previously. So this weak state of banking sector might mean higher premium for correspondent banking and confirmation charges it will increase the cost of doing business both for banks and businesses. So all these uh, challenges uh, will mean that banking sector will be in a precarious situation for quite some time uh, in upcoming future. Thank you, Nafis. So these are very challenging uh, scenarios. And because of the COVID-19, many people are talking about uh, this is a new normal to the economy and the banking sector. So the question is, what is new normal? What does it mean? And what will be the new normal for the banking sector, uh, for example, post-COVID scenario? So whether there will be any fundamental changes in the nature of banking, like uh, adoption of fintech, digitalization of the bank, or something like this, what do you think about that? Well, uh, uh, yes, as you have rightly pointed out, uh, new normal is being uh, used in every sector. I mean, uh, everyone is talking about this, that there would be a pre-COVID situation and post-COVID situation. And in many cases, uh, this will apply for the banking sector as well. Uh, so new normal could mean a situation where you are forced to take a long, hard look at how you have been operating over the years, how many of your standard procedure have become redundant due to this COVID situation, how you need to adapt 
to the changing business scenario and customer behavior. Uh, so that is what I would define the new normal for banking as. One definite change would be customers' engagement in alternative distribution channel. So physical branch visit will come down in a big, big way. People will use ATM, CDM, internet banking, agent banking, 24-7 call center, even more. Digital capabilities of a bank will play a significant role in choosing the preferred bank. With cost reduction prefer, uh, preference, uh, opening of new branches, new physical brick and mortar model, it might take a hit. So opening of new branches will definitely come down. We might also see closing of some branches that are not profitable. Uh, banks will increasingly use agent banking to expand its network to mobilize deposit and lending from remote areas. E-commerce transaction will receive a massive boost. I think digital money will be uh, used in, in a big, big way. Nano lending will uh, uh, gain pace. And I think automation and blockchain will be heavily used for retail and small business loan. We'll probably use social data based on models and algorithms for a small ticket loan size. In my opinion, uh, post-COVID new normal, we'll see uh, pace of digitization being expedited, uh, expedited a lot. Uh, that's for sure. Whether fintech in Bangladeshi, uh, uh, you know, uh, reality will be an immediate thing, I don't know. But uh, digitization, that will definitely uh, uh, will go through a major transformation. Thank you, Nafis. So um, obviously, this is uh, good that many of the young generation, they would like to see the banks uh, being uh, focusing on more digitalization. They want uh, their services right, to be right. prompt. So, uh, so because of the COVID scenario, many we have seen many of the large economies around the world are providing, uh, providing stimulus to the massive uh, stimulus to the economy, uh, with the US being the majority stimulus uh, provider around the world. And we have also seen that Bangladesh government has also announced massive stimulus packages to revive the economy. The size of all these packages exceed Bangladeshi taka, like uh, one lakh crore, or it exceeded one lakh crore right. uh, taka, which is approximately 3.7% right. of the GDP. So the medium for implementation for most of the packages remain the banking sector. So banking sector will be a key player to provide this stimulus. A sector that is already under a stress scenario, as you have already said, so what could be the impact of the banking sector in implementing these packages? Well, uh, it is important to note uh, that, that credit risk in all the stimulus packages will lie with the bank. Uh, the bank rightly pointed out that banks need to follow the past track record and banker-customer relationship in implementation of these uh, stimulus packages. Banks have no option but to be selective in this regard. This facility in no way should go to the habitual defaulter. Prudential credit guidelines and industry-based practices that we have should be followed in sanctioning of these loans. Some of the businesses might not be able to survive this COVID shock. Banks can only provide the liquidity support, but they are not well positioned to absorb the capital loss. Therefore, bankers might have to take a very calculated call which business can post a turnaround given the liquidity support from the bank. 
banks should only focus on helping those businesses. Given governance issues in many banks, these, these stimulus packages run the risk of an escalation of NPL, as you have rightly pointed out. So banks need to be extra careful in this uncertain time. Uh, margin of error is becoming ever so thinner. So uh, the credit risk uh, remain to the bank, as you have said. Uh, so obviously exactly. that's, that's, a, that's a bigger uh, challenges. And we have recently uh, seen that one of the managing directors of a large bank uh, said that we need a credit guarantee uh, scheme. So uh, what's your take on the credit guarantee scheme? Uh, so is there any downside on that or how the credit guarantee uh, scheme takes places in other countries? We haven't seen it in Bangladesh. So have you seen it is being practiced in other countries and what is the mechanism of using that credit guarantee system and whether that is needed for us or not? Well, uh, this is an interesting one. I think credit guarantee scheme uh, can help in today's scenario where business environment is more uncertain and credit growth is unusually low. However, how it will be designed is critically important. Uh, I, uh, in the draft, as reported in the newspaper, Bangladesh Bank is proposing a premium of 2% per annum. Uh, it might be on the higher side and, uh, and costly for the banks uh, to go for implementation of credit guarantee scheme. So there is a scope for uh, revision of this premium. Range of loan covered in uh, credit guarantee scheme that is being designed is said to be from 5 lakh to 30 lakh. So uh, this, uh, this is one area where uh, very small size loan to be covered under this. Uh, but uh, I think uh, it should be enhanced at least up to one crore to include more borrowers, more eligible borrowers. Limiting participating bank based on the NPL, the cutoff has been said at uh, the 10%. This is a good idea. I support this idea. Risk premium for the bank uh, should be uh, based on, uh, uh, you know, uh, their NPL capital adequacy ratio rating, so on. Like uh, a, bank, a bank with uh, NPL ratio of 4% uh, should actually pay half the premium of a, compared to a bank that has NPL ratio of 8%. So this kind of pricing uh, is important. Many people who have reservation on the idea of uh, credit guarantee scheme uh, actually refers to the experience of previous credit guarantee scheme uh, launched by uh, Bangladesh Bank, where uh, there were uh, uh, heavy defaults from the businesses. So the new structure uh, must address this moral hazard, otherwise it can actually backfire uh, because uh, in many banks we have seen the customer selection is not up to the mark. Uh, so it is uh, important that we address the moral hazard uh, issue here. With regard to your question uh, about is there any, uh, uh, you know, uh, successful implementation of uh, credit guarantee scheme abroad? Uh, actually, I don't uh, have the data with me uh, yet, but uh, as you can understand, uh, uh, in developed market, there should not, um, I mean, uh, it might be very hard to find this kind of scheme because uh, uh, I mean, where market competition, supply demand uh, is perfect and everything is perfect, uh, the, the need for such kind of scheme uh, 
uh, you know, uh, doesn't arise. So I think uh, in our present reality, uh, there is a need for it because businesses also need financing. Uh, they are suffering heavily, but due to the COVID situation, uh, probably they are not as credit worthy as uh, it was before. So if you uh, leave it entirely up to the bank to absorb the credit risk, they might not be interested to lend money to the affected businesses. So considering the situation and uh, the requirement to stimulate the economy, I think uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this scheme can be considered, especially for uh, SME loans. I think especially for SME loans, credit guarantee scheme uh, makes much more sense. Thank you. So that's a very important point, and and also a lot of the loans that will be disbursed to the businesses, they have to recover from their uh, very precarious scenario that they are running because of the COVID-19 scenario. And in Bangladesh, we are yet to uh, we yet to flatten the curve. In fact, the curve is increasing every day, and the daily affected rates uh, increasing in recent times. Uh, in the developed world, some of the economies already restarted the. Um, economy, but the economic shock is already there, and many people differ in their opinion regarding the how the recovery will take place. Some people are hoping that uh, there will be a V-shaped recovery, uh, but uh, that looks like very optimistic scenario. Some people are saying that it's an U-shaped recovery, while others saying that it will be a W-shaped recovery, like double depreciation. The most pessimistic people they are talking about like the L-shape, which is a prolonged depression. depression. So can you explain about these uh, recovery shapes and how do you think it will uh, affect the banking sector in Bangladesh and what kind of recovery we may face? Well, uh, as you have mentioned, the uh, optimistic view is the V-shaped recovery where the economy uh, actually goes very uh, quickly to the uh, downturn scenario and also comes back very quickly. And in this scenario, the assumption is that there will be, uh, you know, uh, the hard Im immunity or, uh, you know, there will be uh, a vaccine available very soon. So the economic uh, activity can resume very quickly. And once economic activity resumes, uh, the scenario assumes that uh, it won't take much time to come back to the normal scenario or pre-COVID level. As far as U-shaped uh, recovery is concerned. Uh, it is uh, assumed that uh, the vaccine will take uh, uh, longer to come. So the normal economic activity won't be resumed until very later. And uh, due to the impact of this uh, scenario, economy will uh, take further time uh, to come uh, back to its full capacity or current capacity. Uh, uh, this uh, this might be a uh, very realistic scenario also. And there is also a view of W-shaped recovery. This takes into consideration that uh, there will be uh, a quick resumption to the uh, economy. Uh, so economic activities will resume very shortly, but there will be a second uh, you know, wave. So when the second wave comes, then there will be, a, 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 again, a, another tip. So this is basically what the uh, proponent of W-shaped recovery uh, are, are saying. And the uh, most pessimistic view is L-shaped recovery. Uh, in the, that case, uh, people are expecting that this thing is not going anywhere, anywhere soon. And it is here to stay. It will stay for a long time. And uh, the activity of people, economic activity and everything will get impacted and 
it will uh, take many many years to for the economy to revive to its current level now i think uh, the uh, uh, it is very much possible for one individual economy to experience v shape recovery and another economy to go through a u shape recovery i think uh, if we are a bit optimistic on the you know uh, medical intervention side if we can keep our faith on our scientists and researchers then uh, for our economy especially uh, i think v uh, shape recovery is a very much uh, possible scenario because uh, our uh, economy ha has a kind of resilience and uh, we uh, have, have internal demand uh, in our economy so even when the external economy is affected it is possible that if we can take the right step for the stimulation of our uh, uh, internal demand and keep the employment level uh, at a good uh, level then uh, i think bishop uh, recovery is very possible for us but in that case uh, government spending Uh, would be a critical issue uh, to support the uh, v-shaped recovery uh, level uh, and uh, as far as um, the uh, you know more advanced economies uh, are concerned i think uh, they can actually uh, go through a u-shaped u-shaped recovery model in fact the other day i was going through an article in forbes uh, that uh, that was saying that uh, 53% of Uh, the businesses in uh, developed economies they are preparing for a u shape recovery their sentiment uh, is that uh, their economy uh, will experience a u shape recovery uh, so uh, though that can be the uh, reality of many developed economies uh, i think uh, for uh, a young emerging vibrant economy like bangladesh i think if the right interventions are made Uh, we can actually make a bishop recovery uh, and obviously uh, there is a lot of optimism there uh, behind the assumption and with regard to its implication uh, definitely if it's a bishop recovery banking sector would recover early uh, the if the real economy recovers uh, it would mean more breathing space for the banking sector in case of a u shape or delayed recovery i think the stress on banking sector Uh, will be enormous so let, let us actually hope for a bishop uh, recovery so you are talking about like for government to provide more stimulus in order to support the v-shaped recovery otherwise if that is not the case then probably we might see the u-shaped recovery which might be uh, very dangerous for us and we have to um, exactly uh, exactly face exactly very i think uh, you are absolutely right about this because uh, the more it lingers uh, the greater the risk that the structural flaws of our economy uh, might be exposed and in so that case the, our... in that case the economy will suffer uh, and the businesses will suffer and there might be a mass layoff and and the salary cuts which which come back to my uh, se uh, next question like there has been latest buzzword in the banking sector regarding the downward salary adjustment um, and maybe Uh, layoff by different businesses and uh, obviously many people are saying that uh, they do not like to lay off the employees rather they would like to take a salary cut so that everyone is employed uh, and there has been a very strong debate on it and we have seen in many newspaper regarding some proposals on it as well so this will probably be the first time in the history of the banking sector such things uh, are happening so how do you think the banks 
and the bankers uh, will tackle this rather delicate issue. This is indeed a very uh, tough situation, very tough situation. And uh, being a banker, I might be a bit biased uh, here, a bit biased. And uh, But here is my view. I think staff cost is only a portion of operating cost. Banks should exercise all available options uh, at their disposal before resorting to this stern action. Any action that hurts consumer sentiment and purchasing power actually delay the recovery process. Key problem in banking sector is actually NPL, not operating costs. If governance issues that exist in our banking sector, I don't think we we'll need to go for the low hanging fruit of staff cost. A motivated workforce can protect the interest of the organization much better. That's my humble take on this issue. Okay, and uh, obviously, but, but uh, obviously, bank to bank, it may vary. And if that happens, obviously, we have to uh, take action based on that, like um, adjusting to our living standard and so on. And, and obviously, we all are biased that uh, that doesn't happen. And, uh, and we hope that economy will recover as fast as possible so that that doesn't happen so and also we have we are living in a time where the budget has been proposed recently um, uh, and uh, many banking analysts are saying and also they are very disappointed that there is no incentive for the banks in the budget there is no tax cut or there is uh, obviously the stimulus package is already being uh, actually delivered beforehand so nothing is being uh, told in the budget so What's your take on the latest budget proposal with respect to the banking? Well, uh, to be very precise, uh, this is utterly disappointing. Uh, banking Banks must be in good health themselves to help the economy revive. Uh, so it is imperative that policymakers uh, um, give the bank enough cushion so that they can support uh, the revival of the economy. Uh, tax cut could have been one option. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't materialize. Uh, separate stimulus packages uh, for banks could also be considered uh, so that they don't have to resort to more stern actions in terms of, uh, you know, uh, cost cartel. Uh, another option could be, could have been, uh, you know, a functional uh, uh, credit guarantee scheme. Uh, separate allocation for that could have been announced in the budget, but unfortunately, unfortunately it wasn't also done. And uh, interest rate capping, that is also need to be revisited, which was not done in the budget. Uh, but if we decide to give some advantage to the affected business for this interest rate capping, uh, the affected banks should also get something uh, in return. So uh, there is no allocation for that in the budget as well. So I think overall, uh, there is a scope uh, even now uh, to introduce some of the stimulus for the banks so that banks themselves are in good financial health to support the growth of the economy. Thank you. So it's like since uh, there, there is not being enough stimulus in the budget, we expected more of it because we need the banks to perform well, especially for the, it is extremely important for the financial stability of the economy and banks uh, are the heart of the economy. And before, even before the COVID, we have seen that there is a, a regulation from that will that will start from April 1, 2020, regarding the 9% um, cap on um, on all loans except the credit card. So that impacted a lot, uh, and in fact, beyond uh, that, uh, since the COVID has already 
eating the economy a lot. So this COVID scenario and also the 9% cap are actually uh, affecting the banking sector a lot. So what's your take on that 9% cap? Uh, well, mm, let me go a bit detailed on this answer. Uh, what could be the logical response of uh, such interest rate capping regime? Given the maximum return available on investment, that is 9%, banks are likely to opt for an investment opportunity that has the least amount of perceived risk. Therefore, most banks would vie for the same group of borrowers that are likely to be in better financial footing and has proven track record in repayment of their loans as per the schedule. However, banks would have no incentive whatsoever to choose an investment opportunity that has above average risk profile. An illustration would help, I think. Uh, a choice of financing between a small business firm with one year operation and a well-established business conglomerate with the backing of strong entrepreneurs, both offering the same return on investment due to this interest rate ceiling. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to find out what would be the preferred option for overwhelming majority of lenders, if not all. If you think or view the uh, SME loan or small loan as a product for the bank, it will definitely be one that is costly to make. Shouldn't it reflect in the final pricing to the customer as well? Is the same markup justified for the wholesale business and retail business? Is it feasible to compare the margin of someone selling 1,000 sacks of rice per day in Kauran Bazar wholesale market and someone selling 20 kg uh, per day in a local departmental store? Is it fair on either party to fix a single uniform margin for both of them? Some of you might already be shaking your head in absurdity of the comparison, but practically that's what is happening when you fix a single uniform interest rate for all customers, which differs so much from each other in terms of size, business model, risk, and so many other respects. So not taking into account the inherent high expenses associated with uh, SME lending will lower the credit uh, growth in this sector in a big, big way. Doing away with the fundamental of risk-based pricing can affect the sustainability of banking business model. Hence, it, it might be a good idea to stop playing with this risk premium and fundamental of lending. Even better if you can do that before it's too late. Uh, no harm in backtracking on a policy that is clearly not working and will continue to pick back the SME sector, uh, the lenders, the borrowers, everyone. We cannot afford to undo a lot of progress that has been made in the SME sector. So let us hope the good sense prevails and this interest rate capping is revisited, at least for SME sector. Thank you. So it looks like the risk-based uh, pricing only becoming an academic exercise. Uh, and exactly, it's, it's, it's exactly. a futile exercise in the uh, practice. Uh, and someone studying in university, studying that risk-based pricing and come to the banking sector and see that every loan are being priced same. And obviously that will hurt the accessibility of the finance to the small and medium enterprises, which are actually driving the economic growth in the past few years. And that so will true. become challenging for the uh, going forward. So if we were to achieve a very good growth for the economy, we have to um, provide the access to capital uh, to those companies. So having discussing all these things, uh, it's like uh, what 
what does it mean for an analyst like uh, someone uh, thinking about investing in the banking sector because prices take a hit and prices looks extremely cheap a lot of the bad news is are already reflected in the prices so how the investor should position themselves uh, given all these uh, challenges uh, if you compare the uh, you know sector p uh, the historical trend probably would suggest a very good value right now uh, however if you uh, you need to factor into the covid impact Uh, in your analysis because this is kind of once in a lifetime impact and the extent of actual impact is actually hard to predict right at this point in time general suggestion would be staying away from the stocks that have uh, provision shortfall high npl and governance issues in the board strong fundamental based company should be a good bet to come out of this crisis even stronger that's my take on this Okay, so even in bad times, we we can find stocks at very cheap prices. Exactly. exactly. Often it's very. Uh, in, uh, those are the periods where we can take good companies at uh, very good prices. Uh, so all if if it's, it's like a majority of the discussion we have discussed today is like looks looks a bit gloomy picture. But is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Like anything that makes you hopeful about the sector? Any silver linings? well uh, let's talk macro again because health of the se- sector is uh, uh, reliant on the state of the economy as well uh, there are some silver linings as far as the macro is concerned uh, not everything is doom and gloom you know uh, so uh, there has been uh, some visible movement among companies across the globe to diversify their production facilities away from china Uh, U.S. China trade war is an issue. Even Japanese government announced 2.2 billion dollar package to help Japanese firm move out of China. In this connection, Vietnam and India have emerged as potential destinations, with their government reacting promptly to attract uh, the investment. Uh, Bida is also taking different uh, initiatives. Uh, we need specific allocations for attracting this FDI. We should work aggressively. Uh, to address reduction of red tape in approval processes and easing the cost of doing business in Bangladesh, not every day do you get uh, such massive exodus of firms looking to relocate. Bangladesh must do everything in its capacity to ensure that this opportunity is not missed. One good thing is that we have uh, shown good resilience in the past to come out of adverse economic situation. if we can get our acts together with the right kind of priorities and timely intervention there is no reason why we cannot come out of this crisis again so this is on the macro part which will help uh, the banking sector as well and as far as specific uh, aspect of banking sector is concerned i think fallout from pandemic could force weak players to go for merger and acquisitions number of banks in bangladesh is already too high compared to the size of the economy it might not be a bad thing if there is a consolidation in the sector another post covid covid uh, positive change that i foresee is increased awareness among depositors for flight to safety many depositors currently take the uh, safety factor for granted and focus primarily on interest rate weak players can mask their limitation in bull play Uh, as they say when the tide is gone you can see who are swimming naked the uncertainty associated with this pandemic may well be an eye opener for the depositors 
and this increased scrutiny from them will force the players, force the bankers to do the right thing that will reflect well in their financial strength. I think that is one positive change uh, I think we would see in post-COVID period where, uh, you know, the uh, board of the bank, the financial strength, the quality, everything uh, will come under scrutiny and depositors will be uh, much more, uh, you know, um, uh, much more uh, in active position in analyzing uh, those aspects instead of just focusing on the uh, on the return part. So that is uh, that could be one positive thing that can come out of this crisis. Thank you. So the China relocation can be a very good opportunity for the Bangladesh economy because many of the businesses may think that they can have their production facility in Bangladesh and we may expect a lot of FDIs. Though in this morning we got just a very bad news that FDI uh, plunged in, in 2019 by 55%. And to encourage a lot of FDIs, we need to uh, increase the governance, overall governance of the economy. And also uh, we need to improve the ease of business doing so that uh, people think Bangladesh is a, is a manufacturing hub um, and they have their manufacturing hub in Bangladesh so that uh, the economy can grow, which has a huge uh, labor uh, surplus. Um, uh, so the labor is also very cheap here. So Bangladesh can tap that opportunity. I hope uh, we'll take measures account for that. So my last question uh, is uh, regarding a career in finance. So uh, what do you suggest to a young grad uh, who is preparing um, himself or herself for a career in finance in Bangladesh? Though this is the very bad time to graduate, but there are many people who are studying in universities who would like to come into the labor force in uh, one or two years. So especially if a young grad wants to build his or her career in the finance industry, especially in the banking sector. So what would be your suggestions? Well, as you have said, uh, I mean, without any sugar coating, uh, we can uh, say that uh, this is not an ideal time to start your career, but you can do anything about this. The demand for job will be low. A lot of people will apply for the select few vacancies. Uh, so this is the reality. You have to first accept this situation. Uh, the first thing would be understanding the overall situation and having patience. Rather, focus should be on self-development, utilizing the time available on learning something new. Probably doing some on online certification courses. Maybe pursuing professional degrees such as CFA, CA, HCA, CMA, etc. Uh, another important thing is making connections. Your network could pave the way for the right job. So now that you have the time to uh, you know, really improve yourself and make connections, uh, you should build up that professional network. LinkedIn, Glassdoor, other social media platform, attending job fair, seminar, alumni programs, online webinar, all should be exercised. All these things can help you. And you can also sharpen your CV writing skill, interview skill, industry updates, get a competitive edge over uh, others. And one important thing is keeping an open mind about your career and job. You shouldn't expect uh, your academic brilliance to be automatically converted into professional brilliance. That's a totally different thing. And you need to act on being a team player and improve your behavior job, uh, you are, can be more ready to adapt to that uh, situation. So being proactive, adaptive, uh, that is also very important. So overall, I think uh, you need to invest time on uh, yourself. 
so, so that you can be better prepared uh, to face the realities of the day. Uh, so I think that's it from me. Extremely uh, good suggestions. I think um, it's not only important for the young grads who are preparing for the job market. In, I think these are the suggestions that actually uh, for all who are actually also working in the industry True. and True. the economic uh, situation when uh, are, like, uh, are not as uh, good as uh, we have seen. So obviously you have more time so you can put your time in uh, learning different absolutely, things to absolutely. prepare yourself for the future. So these are very good suggestions. And thanks a lot for your time. Um, uh, I must say it's a very uh, good discussion and uh, participants will be able to learn a lot about the current financing landscape in Bangladesh, special attention to the banking sector. Um, and many thanks to our listeners. Um, uh, I'm ending the sh show note with the announcement that- Thank you, um, thank you, Nafiz, thank you. Thanks a lot. And I'm, I and Sadegwai actually working on um, a credit analysis um, uh, course, uh, which can be uh, focusing on the practical aspect of uh, Bangladesh uh, credit uh, market, uh, especially uh, with, with banking and NBFI sector. So obviously interested participants can uh, pre-book their um, uh, participation in the course. And if you have liked the podcast, um, uh, please rate us. Um, uh, as you know that the podcast is available in different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and other uh, podcasts as well. So from, for if, if anybody wants to have more learning, uh, participants can join our CFA or FRM courses or any of the courses we offer uh, to learn more about uh, their uh, personal development. Uh, so uh, currently classes are running on, on online due to the COVID-19 and that's a very efficient uh, scenario because people can access to the classes from, from anywhere uh, using the uh, internet. And thanks a lot, Sadiq Bhai, and, uh, and thanks to our listeners. Thank you.